You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Stan Parks. He's a part of the global f- facilitation team at 2414. Stan, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe share some of your ministry background and, and experience? So my parents were missionaries in Indonesia, and I was born there and I grew up around them and many other amazing people who were seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, my wife and I uh, were have been missionaries in uh, Indonesia and Singapore about 20 years, and then we were in Dubai for the last three years or so, and uh, mainly focused on trying to reach the unreached, those who don't have access to the gospel. About 2 billion people in the world don't have what a friend of mine calls the Jesus option. They, they've mm. never heard the good news. They've never had a chance to respond to it. So you've been, a, you've been a missionary for how many years? About 25. 25 years. And been all in a couple different countries. So within those, how long were you in each of those countries? So in, uh, Indonesia, about 13 years. Singapore, about seven years. Dubai, about three. Okay. And, and currently we're, we're in the States helping uh, my mom with some health problems and then intend to go back overseas when, when that time's finished. So will you go back to Dubai or somewhere else? Well, when the time comes, we'll say, Lord, you want us to go back to Dubai or somewhere else? And uh, so Dubai will be our first thought, but he may tell us some other place. Yeah, yeah. So as you've been in these different locations, we're, and we're going to talk about some of the strategies and models that you guys have been using and, and how we define, how you define disciple making. But um, have you, in all of those different locations over the 25 years that you've been doing ministry, were you following the principles you're following now and the models you're following now, or has that been a progression over the course of your ministry career? Definitely a progression. Uh, I tell people one reason I like to train is I want to help people avoid some of the mistakes that uh, my wife and I made our first mm. years on the field. So when we first went to the field, there was a real focus on uh, security and you know, because you're working in people groups that uh, there's a lot of persecution and, uh, you know, you want to protect the people you're working with. And yeah. I also realized, you know, I, I, as I mentioned, grew up in a missionary family and learned a lot of things. My, my parents tried some new things that were groundbreaking. And I learned a lot from them. But when I went, I kind of combined... My, my strategy was a combination of you know, things I'd seen growing up, things I'd learned in seminary, 
things I got from my denomination, um, things from books I'd read. And it was, it was kind of a crazy mixture. Mm-hmm. And God really brought me to a point of saying, look, you need to put all that aside and go back to how did I do it? Hmm. What was the strategy we see in the gospels of the book of Acts? And so I had begun to hear of movements and I began trying to learn, you know, kind of reexamine my assumptions and then learn from what God was starting to do with uh, reaching people in these unreached areas. Gotcha. So I want to talk about 2414 today. Can you share what that is? Maybe give a, a, a summary of 2414 and, and how you guys got started? Yeah, so one of the amazing things we've seen is that God has begun to start what we would call church planning movements uh, all over the world. And a church planning movement is kind of like Roland Allen's book. It's the spontaneous expansion of the church. Um, it's, it's churches that are started, but they're started in a way that they let scripture be their guide and the Holy Spirit guides them and they reproduce themselves without all the extras that we've added on with human tradition. Mm -hmm. So these churches begin to reproduce and they're following scripture when people ask what's their definition of church, a lot of them will say our definition is Acts 2, 36 through 47. They're not relying on paid professionals. They're not relying on buildings. They're, they believe everybody in the church is called to do the ministry, you know, the work of the ministry. Their mm-hmm. leaders are, like Ephesians 4, to equip them to do the work of the ministry. And so <clears throat> they start churches that start churches that start churches that start churches. And it really becomes an exponential growth of the church. So as we've seen God begin to do this a few years ago, uh, we called together leaders of these church planning movements, leaders of churches that were, you know, the traditional church that was partnering to help uh, start these movements, mission agencies, uh, leaders of mission agencies that were partnering to help start these movements. And we said, what's God saying to us? And the result of that, we had two meetings because about 70 people, uh, we couldn't find one time, everybody could show up. So we did it twice. And the result was uh, this 2414 coalition. So 2414 gets its name from Matthew 2414. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world as a sacrificial testimony to all peoples, and then the end will come. And so we don't we don't pretend to know when Jesus is coming back, but we do know that he won't come back until all the peoples uh, of the world have heard. And mm. so we're saying we want to see the gospel, you know, disciples made of every people and we feel like these multiplying movements are the way, the main way that we're going to beat the population growth and the main way God's reaching unreached people. And so 2414 is a coalition that's saying, let's reach all the unreached peoples and places and let's see God do it through these 
uh, kingdom movements, these church planning movements, and let's do it with urgency. Let's try to get uh, these groups engaged with a church planning movement effort by 2025. We realize a movement may or may not start, but if no one's tried to start a movement, then a movement for sure won't start. Yeah. So, so of these 70 or so leaders that, that we're seeing movements come out of their ministries, you guys decided, Hey, let's bring these all, all these individuals together and, and learn from each other, like what's working, what's not working. What are we doing that has commonality that we can replicate and, and repeat and try to apply to other ministries and other, and other movements. Was it that part of it or was there something else behind bringing it together, this coalition? Yeah. So starting back in probably 2008, 2010, we had actually seen some movements get started and begin to bring people together to learn uh, and say, Hey, what's God doing? You know, how can we learn from each other? So they'd already begun some of this conversation, learning from each other, connecting uh-huh. with each other. This was a meeting really to say, what, what does God want us to do together? So everyone had been pursuing movements in their own sphere, but it was really asking the question, you know, God, are you asking us to cooperate, to co-labor, to do something together that we could not do on our own? And there was a strong sense that he was saying, yes, there are so many places that nothing's happening that by co-laboring together, you can greatly expand your impact. So there's very much a partnership element to this approach. Absolutely. That wasn't existent prior to the, the 2010 type, type times. Yeah. So there's always been a partnership of let's, you know, who's doing what in the mission world and especially in the unreached world. Um, there have been different venues for that. Uh, you know, uh-huh other networks like Ethne or uh, Global Church Planning Network or other, you know, Comey Bomb in Latin America. So there had been some of that, but this was, this was a recognition when it comes to these movements, God's doing something really unprecedented. There have been movements throughout history, but there have never been this many movements in literally every continent. So, what, what is God asking us to do together so that not, hey, I'm trying to reach the unreached people group uh, in, in India or Indonesia or, or Iraq or Syria that I'm focused on. But how, how am I reaching that unreached people group in India, for instance? And what would it take, you know, how could I help reach unreached people groups really everywhere, all mm-hmm. of India, all of the Middle East, all of Southeast Asia. So saying, let's not just say what what is our responsibility. You know, some of these groups have millions of people, so it'd be easy to say, well, I, you know, I'm trying to reach 90 million Bhojpuri language speakers in India or 100 million Bhojpuri speakers. Now, that's enough. No, what's it going to take to reach 750 million lost people in India? What's it going to take to reach... billion lost 
and reach people throughout the world. Mm-hmm. I want to not just reach my hundred million people. I want to help reach the rest of the world. And when I say that, I'm referring to a specific individual, well, a specific team that's part of a movement among the Bush Party, uh, led by Victor John and, and quite a few other leaders. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. That's helpful. Now, how do you guys define disciple making? Just to give some context to our conversation today. I think one of the main confusions that's happened with with many people in the church, not, not everybody, but many, is we tend to think of discipleship uh, primarily as what you do with people who are Christians. We're, you know, we're going to decide, we have a discipleship class. We have, uh, we're discipling current Christians. Um, <clears throat> when Jesus was given the great commission to his disciples, Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples of Pantata ethne, every, uh, a good translation would be ethno-linguistic people group, not, not political nation state. So go make disciples of all of those. Well, he's talking to a group of Jewish men. All of those groups were lost. They were the, they were the, at that time, unreached. So right. he's saying disciple the lost to faith, not take someone who's already a believer and make them a better believer. So we view disciple making as making disciples of lost people, making followers of Jesus from people who are not followers of Jesus. And then continuing that, because the Great Commission says make disciples of uh, every people and baptize them. So we're bringing them to commitment. You're making the disciple and then you're baptizing them. They're, they're making that commitment to Jesus, uh, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey all that I've commanded. So disciple making continues in teaching these new disciples and old disciples how to obey everything Jesus commanded. And a lot of our churches around the world, we've practiced what we would call knowledge-based discipleship, right? It's what you know about the Bible that's important. The people who know the most about the Bible are the ones who teach and lead as opposed to what we would call obedience-based discipleship. Um, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And so we make disciples of lost people, and then we help them learn how to obey everything Jesus commanded. We don't have to teach them everything he commanded. We just teach them how to obey, and then we let them go. And, you know, we're still connected to them, but, but... their growth is not under our direction. It's, you know, they can, they're mature enough to continue on without us. Mm. And the, the knowledge and maturation comes in the process of being obedient to go and make disciples themselves. Right. It, you know, sometimes we talk about disciple making movements. Um, I'd sometimes break that down into three parts. First is, are you, are you a disciple? That, that God wants you to be. And we're never going to be perfect, right? But right. am I growing and am I a healthy disciple? Am I becoming more mature? 
than so disciple disciple making. Do I know how to make disciples of other people? Do I know how to lead someone else to become a follower of Jesus? And then movements, do I know how to multiply that? So am I a disciple who can make disciples? And those disciples know how to make disciples so that it can become a multiplication factor. Mm. The other thing is in, in these movements, there's very much a group dynamic. Your, your obedience is in the context of your group, of your family, of your group of friends, of, of this natural uh, group that, that often becomes the church or part of the church. And so your accountability for obedience is to each other. It's not just to a leader or a partner. It's to the whole group. It's to the whole church. Can you walk us through maybe a quick summary of the disciple-making process that, that you guys follow or that many of the um, leaders follow that are a part of this coalition? Yeah, God loves variety, so he doesn't always do it this way, but uh, these are definitely patterns we're seeing uh, happen the majority of the time. So going back to the question, well, how did Jesus do it? Uh, Mark 6, Luke 9, Luke 10, Matthew 10, he sends out his disciples. He gives them a basic pattern. Uh, He basically says, go, heal the sick, heal. cast out demons, other things in Matthew, and tell them the kingdom of God is near. And then you're looking for what we would call a household of peace. And uh, he says, if if a person of peace is there, they'll welcome you, and you, you know that's the household that you should stay in. And so we go, we look for these persons of peace that open up their households of peace. Uh, and what that looks like is it looks like uh, Zacchaeus, where Jesus comes to his household, and then at the end, Jesus says, today salvation has come not just to Zacchaeus, but to the whole household. It looks like Cornelius, where Cornelius has a dream. He invites Peter, and then it says uh, Cornelius and, and basically many others, his household, uh, came to faith. Uh, it's Lydia saying, you know, Lydia and her household were baptized. And so we look for that person that will open up their their family, their group of friends, their household. And then uh, John 6, Jesus says, nobody comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And those who, and he, he talks about, you know, a, a, the prophets tell us this, and it's actually come now where God himself will teach them. Those who listen and learn from the Father will come to me. So we try to put them in a position of listening to God, letting God teach them rather than I'm going to teach them. So I'm their guide. I'm their facilitator. But we look at Scripture, and then we ask questions that help them, basically help God teach them uh, through through the Scripture, through the stories that they're studying. And so we find that person of peace. We, we invite their household to learn from God together. As they begin to learn from God, often there's kind of a, a creation to Christ sequence. You know, God revealed himself progressively. Um, and so they follow that same process. They, you know, 
Uh, this doesn't always happen like this. Sometimes they come to faith quickly and then they back up and kind of go through the creation of Christ sequence. Uh-huh. But um, basically, you know, God created the world. Our sin destroyed our relationship with God. God uh, picked Abram to to start the story over. And the people of Israel were to be assigned to the rest of the world, but they continually fell into sin and this cycle of sin and repentance and sin and repentance. And God said, okay, I've shown you, you can't do it. I'm going to send a redeemer. And then they get to the story of, uh, you know, they begin to study the life of Jesus. And so we're helping them change their worldview to understand who God really is, who we really are, and if they're in a guilt innocence culture, you're looking at stories a little, maybe a little bit differently. If they're in a shame honor culture, you're looking at stories a little bit differently. But so we're helping them change their worldview to be a more biblical, to, to be a biblical worldview. And then when they get to the point of commitment, it's almost always a group commitment. I take that back, depending on the context. Some movements, an individual commits and then leads their, their family or our group to faith, um, other contexts, more communal cultures, they tend to, to make the commitment together. Okay. Um, but either one, the goal is to reach the whole family, not to reach the individual. It just depends on the, the situation they're in. So that family comes to faith or our group of friends or both. And then you begin showing them how to study the scripture in a way that helps them mature in their faith. And again, God's still the teacher. The Holy Spirit's guiding them. I'm just facilitating the process. So, so for this this global coalition that is 2414, um, what does that partnership look like? Can you can you share what that looks like in practice? Maybe at a high level of of all these movements, of all these leaders partnering together to work together to finish this task. Yeah, I'll give you a small example of it. Um, well, I say small. Uh, we were with a group that are movement leaders in uh, India. They pulled up a map. Uh, actually, I'm going to ask you to edit that out. I'll, I'll tell the story, but I won't name the country. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a uh, Small example of that, uh, in an unreached country, a group of movement leaders were gathered and they put up maps of all the provinces in their country. And one, one province with a lot of different people groups, different language groups, uh, large population, they took the map and put and, and looked at all the districts in that province. So I think there are you know, 30 or so districts. They then said which districts they were seeing multiplication from their the movement that they were part of. So on that map, about uh, 25 or so of the, of the districts had multiplication efforts happening in them. Five did not. So just on the spot, the different movements said, okay, that one's close to some of the people in our movement. Uh, we'll... We'll take that district. We'll get something started there. You know, there's so 
immediately all five some one of the different movement leaders said we'll 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 spread into that district so the fact that they shared their information which can be dangerous but the fact that they're willing to do it is important showed the gaps where there was no multiplication effort happening and then the fact that they could very quickly say well you know we'll take that one okay we'll take this one different group hey we'll take that one and and see every one of them's covered um, is is just a perfect example of what we're trying to do around the world and and why do you think that partnership like this is so important to see that great commission complete we hinted at it a little bit earlier but I'm going to get some more definition around what the why you guys feel that there's so much importance in partnership yeah so Again, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, make disciples of every ethne. And uh, currently, there, there are different ways to define it, but there are approximately 17,000 ethno-linguistic people groups. So the goal of the Great Commission is to disciple, not, not, to, not individuals, is to disciple entire people groups. Uh, you know, make disciples of the ethne. So of those 17,000, about 10,000 have significant Christian uh, percentages in it. Now, only God can define when a group's entirely disciple. We realize every biological generation, you've got new challenges. But we do know there are approximately 7,000 unreached people groups that combined add up to about 2.2 billion people that have virtually no uh, church present. You know, if they're churches, they're very few. If they're Christians, they're, you know, 0.1% or, or, or 0.01% or, or 0.001% or, um, and so how do you disciple 7,000 plus people groups with 2.2 billion people? Um, you have to do it together. No one group could ever do that. And the reality is outside mission agencies, you know, God's used them tremendously. I'm, I'm part of one. I'm, uh-huh. you know, they're absolutely a key part of the equation. But the, the real hope are these movements inside those countries and cultures that are made up of insiders who, you know, I might be coming at a great cultural distance to, for instance, Indonesia, but an Indonesian going to a nearby people group is much closer and is much more likely to be effective. So these movements combined globally, there are about 80 million people in these church planning movements. That's a tremendous force for the harvest. And so uh, how do we, as the broader Great Commission community, help them realizing, for the most part, they're going to be the ones who can be the most effective, uh, are the closest. They actually have the DNA of multiplication already built into, you know, they came to faith in a multiplication effort. Um, so they're, they're absolutely ones that we need to get behind and help them be more effective and and doing it together is the only way to do that. 
Yeah. Do you find that that there's a lot of pushback on that model and that mission agencies or organizations or ministries want to focus on or tend to lean towards um, focusing on their specific ministry rather than partnership? Or, or do you f- have you guys found that there is a strong tendency and bent towards investing in partnership? There is actually quite a bit of pushback against church planning movements. Um, there are a lot of people that say, well, you know, that's, that's happening too quickly. Uh, there's no way these disciples are mature enough. Uh, you're, you're, you're rushing things. Um, or they say, you know, really those numbers are unbelievable. We just, we don't think it's true. We think people are lying about this. There's no way this is happening. So there's quite a bit of pushback on that. And, you know, we've, we've had discussions and articles and talked to people and some people have changed their mind and a lot of people haven't changed their mind. <laughs> and, you know, Acts 19.10 says in two years, every Jew and Greek in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And Roman census from back then put the number of, of that province, which is Asia Minor, uh, roughly modern-day Turkey, put that number at anywhere between 10 and 20 million. Right. So even if it's just 10 million, how did 10 million people hear the gospel in two years? That's awfully fast. You know, yeah. and why does why does Paul say pray that our message might spread rapidly? Um, so I, I think the idea that God can't do something like this is a little dangerous. Hmm. And I think the idea that people all over the world are somehow cooperating in some great deception is also pretty dangerous. Um, and so we're just going to focus on those who, you know, we're, we'll have conversations with people. And we'll try to, uh, you know, do, do evaluations and share those with people and show our mistakes and show our weaknesses. But at some point you're not going to convince some people. So great. We'll just, go with those who are ready to go. Um, uh, yeah. So, you, so the, it's not a, there's no attempt on your end to try to shift mindset and, and change people's views on whether or not this is true or not. You're running ahead, focusing on what you're good at and you can join us and be a part of this and you can, and partner with us in this or not. We don't care either way. We're going to continue to do what God's called us to do. Well, in a sense, we do, we do explain, we do try to talk to people. There have been people who've been very skeptical that have changed their mind. So we, we do have conversations trying to invite people to be a part of this. You know, we'll write articles in Mission Frontiers. Uh, there was just a symposium of movements uh, and, and those who study movements to share what we're learning. So we're, we do care to a certain extent, partly because we want more people that have the joy of being a part of these things. Uh, yeah. Partly because there are resources in the body that God wants them to share. Um, but at a certain level, we're, we're not, we're going to recognize, yeah, if you don't agree, that's fine. We're not going to keep arguing about this. 
let's just, we're going to do what we do. And, you know, you can watch it. And, uh, one example would be the Bose Pro movement, which I mentioned. This is a group of, uh, currently now it's about 100 million people that speak the Bose Pro language in India. And there's actually a book on it called the Bose Pro Breakthrough that describes really the amazing work God's doing there. So they've actually had four outside evaluation teams come in to evaluate what they're doing. The main goal is to learn their weaknesses, to learn where their gaps are, to, to improve things. Uh, a secondary goal would be to demonstrate to other people what God's doing. Uh, one of one of these surveys was about a year. It had six different mission agencies that were not part of the movement who sent people to do the study. These These studies have been shared. And there's still people who say, well, I don't think it's happening. So like, well, you know, we've had four outside evaluations. Let me ask you the last time your your local church actually had an outside evaluation. And, you know, somehow we think we can be a judge over what God's doing in some other part of the world that we've not been around. Or maybe we even live in that part of the world, but we're not experiencing it. And the idea that I am an arbiter of what is legitimate and what's not. Is, is a dangerous idea. Hmm. So we tell people, hey, the church I'm a part of, I need to look to my own church because most of these movements are a lot healthier than the church that I've grown up in. And uh, let's let's apply some of those same criteria to ourselves before we decide we can apply it to them. Yeah. How how do you think the church can start being more obedient to this call to make disciples? Well, the exciting thing is there there are a growing number of uh, traditional churches that have begun to hear about these movements, and and a good number of them have said, "Hey, we want to be a part of this." Uh, one example would be uh, in in East Africa. Uh, you know, all up into the Horn in East Africa. There are over 200 different churches, denominations, mission agencies that have partnered to help start movements throughout, you know, these many countries. Um, so we are seeing people get more excited about it, being a part of these movements and recognizing, hey, there are things we can do to help. There are things we can't do to help. So let's focus on what we can and, and not do the things that are that are not helpful. We're also seeing a growing number of churches uh, in, again, in traditional contexts, Europe, U.S., uh, South America, uh, some more, you know, long longer legacy churches in Africa and Asia. They're beginning to apply these uh, disciple-making movement, uh, church planning movement principles to their own ministries. Um sending people out to do these things locally. Uh, some churches are actually training all of their people to do these things. Um, there's a, a book called uh, Mega Church to Multiplication of a mega church in the U.S. that actually went through about a three or four year process. And at the end of it, it felt like God led them to relaunch, to quit having the, build, the services in the buildings and relaunch as a network of disciple-making churches. And they're mm. up to about 78 
80 uh, something churches in 12 states of uh, people saying, you know, why, why is this happening in other places and it's not happening here? Let's let's try to do the same thing here. That's really cool. Yeah, that, that kind of segues into my next question. Can you, and you've touched on a couple of these stories, but can you share a story or two of some incredible movements that you've seen take place maybe in the last few years? And you don't have to be super specific if we want to protect um, movements or people that might be in contexts that are hostile to gospel, but um, some of the things that you've seen really recently, maybe. Yeah. You know, to me, one of the exciting things is just the, the everyday person in these movements. And one of my favorite stories is a woman who is part of a movement. She was asked to speak at their leadership gathering. And she got up and she said, you know, I don't I don't actually know why anybody asked me to talk about leadership. She said, I, I don't know that much about it. She said, I've uh, I can't read and I can't write. And. You know, my niece reads the Bible to our family every morning. We just do our best to remember it and and uh, meditate on it, and you know, obey it during the day. And you know, we just go out and we we heal the sick and cast out demons and tell people about Jesus. And um, you know, we've only seen a couple of people raised back to life. And um, you know, I've only been a follower of Jesus for five years, and we've only started. <laughs> 50 churches, um, you know, we're just doing what everybody else does. So I don't know why they've asked me to talk. <laughs> and the reality is that, that, that is what happens on these movements. Almost everybody, obviously not every single, but almost everybody thinks, well, yeah, I can make disciples. I can start churches. I'm going to go do it. Um, you know, I was in one meeting. They, this guy actually was in prison for murdering, people and he had gotten out and now he's, a, you know, came to faith in prison and now he's being tr- mentored by other leaders. And he has a group of about 30 leaders. And he said, you know, just stand up and tell what you're doing. You know, this guy stood up and, you know, hey, I planted three churches and this is what I'm doing. And, you know, another, uh, uh, a couple stands up, you know, we planted 10 churches and this brother and sister stand up and he's probably 20. She's, you know, maybe 25. And I had a demon cast out and we tell people our story and we've planted 12 churches. So it's just this every, you know, obviously some are more fruitful than others, but this idea that we're all called to do that. We can all do that. Uh, one, one country, I won't name the country, but uh, you know, there's been a, effort to reach the unreached peoples of this particular country and, um, you know, the last 30, 40 years and, uh, uh, movements have started, which have started other movements. That's one of the main things we're learning is the best way to see the movement start is for another movement to start it in a nearby people group or language mm-hmm. or, or geographical area. So the recent report I got, they were actually walking through the, the country and they said, okay, all the people groups, unreached people groups in this country uh, that are a million or larger, we there's there's a multiplying movement in every single one except one. 
and they named that one. Now, all the people groups that are between 100,000 and a million, uh, their, their movements in over, I think the number's uh, 50 something, and there's 17 that, that we don't yet have a movement. And then they're actually tracking below 100,000 too. And, you know, uh, I forget the numbers, but that's, that's astonishing. Yeah. These groups that for centuries have never heard the gospel. And now they're not just hearing the gospel, they're reproducing the gospel. They're multiplying disciples. They're multiplying churches. Um, one of the guys in this actual, what we call a family of movements, this guy got arrested, put in jail. The police said, you know, someone's got to take responsibility for you. Or, you know, you'll never get out of here or parole. Do you have anybody that can kind of quote vouch for you? This guy had heard the name of a church planner. He didn't even know him. He said, you know, this guy, church planner gets called down. Like, do I know you? <laughs> he said, no, but you know, so-and-so told me your name. So anyway, he, he goes down there. He starts meeting with this guy and others in the, in the prison. Uh, this guy comes to faith. Well, this guy is actually, he got The reason he got arrested and put in jail is he was a drug dealer. And, so he comes to faith, he goes back to his home area and says to his drug dealing friends, Hey, I'm different now, but, uh, you know, let me tell you what God's done in my life. And, um, can I, can I just ride along with you as you go on your trips, taking drugs to other places? Like, yeah, sure. So basically the drug dealers are providing him free transportation to a lot of different unreached people groups. He's sharing the gospel with the drug dealers as they go, and he gets to go to these different parts of the uh, the country on a pretty regular basis. So I think God is, has a very creative <laughs> sense of how to fund some of these things. And so these guys are coming to faith, and you know, so eventually, hopefully, the, the drug trade will be completely uh, defunct, but there'll be a whole lot of churches left in the wake. That's incredible. So if, if I wanted to start making disciples today, or if, if maybe a ministry leader listening to this episode wants to start using these principles um, that we've talked about, you've shared through this conversation within their ministry or their church, um, what are some next steps that we could follow? Yeah, so if you're in the United States, there's actually... Uh, a couple of groups that do training that they could uh, right now they're doing it online for the most part, uh, partly because of COVID and partly to reach more people. Um, so one would be this church I mentioned, uh, Mega Church Multiplication. Um, their website is is Wig Take DMM. So W I G T A K E DMM, and it's kind of a short form of saying, what's it going to take to see a disciple-making movement? So on that website, you can actually read the story of how they begin to realize, wait a minute, we're not reaching, we're not reaching our, you know, we're not reaching the people in our area at the rate we need to. We're not making disciples as strongly as we need to. Um, and they began this journey that's led them to being a part of the disciple-making movements. They do offer trainings on a regular basis. In fact, one of them is coming up 
uh, March 23rd, but you know, there are others spread out. And then another group called New Generations um, is offering training in the U.S. also. Um, and New Generations also does training with some people in other countries. Um, so those would be a couple of options of ways you could get involved. And the training is basically, let's look at scripture, let's look at the principles involved in scripture, and then let's try to implement it in our everyday life in a way that we can begin to learn how to be disciples that make disciples. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, thank you. Um, Stan, if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about what you're doing, how can they do so? Yeah, so 2414 has a website called 2414now.net. And you can write me as Stan, S-T-A-N, at 2414now.net. And I'll be happy to connect you to people or, you know, connect you to resources, things like that. The, the 2414now website actually has uh, an ongoing collection of blog uh, entries about church planning movements. And we've actually put a book together. We have 37 authors from 10 countries called uh, 2414, A Testimony to All Peoples. That's a, a, a very good overview of what are these movements? What do they look like? Some case studies, things like that. Uh, we're actually working on an audiobook version of it. And uh, it's been translated into several languages. We're working on getting into about 12 plus languages. Most of the blogs being translated into 12 or so languages also, because it's a global effort. It's not mm-hmm. a centric effort. And so that's one of the, one of the key things. So the book would give you a great overview, 2414 book. The blogs would give you an overview. Uh, these trainings would, would allow you to begin not just doing it, but doing it in a way you could train other people in your, church in your circle to be a part of making disciples also. Awesome. Well, Stan, this has been um, really incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing what 2414 is doing. Can I pray for you and the ministry? Absolutely. Father, I just lift up Stan and the team at 2414 and this this global coalition of, of leaders and and movements and uh, ministry partners and agencies and churches coming together to uh, work together and to be the body of Christ to complete this work that you've called us to, Father. We thank you so much for um, all the parties involved, willingness to be a part of what you're doing and to share their insights and their experiences and their challenges and struggles um, with others so that we can all learn from one another and, and these movements can be more effective moving forward, fathers. Thank you so much for Stan and his team and um, what 2414 is doing uh, to be obedient to your call for for kingdom movements and kingdom work and getting to be a part of what you have invited us into. Father, we thank you so much um, for your son, for loving us, for walking with us as we um, be obedient to the, your calls, Lord. Uh, yeah, just lift up Stan and his team and and 2414 that it will continue to be effective for your glory and for the edification of the church and for the completion of your call. We love you in Jesus name. Amen.
Amen. Stan, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Zach. Appreciate being being invited and appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in our process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.